Welcome to Season 2 of History, Politics, and Beer, the podcast that examines contemporary issues through the lens of history. Now, from the home office in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, we invite you to sit back with an ice-cold one and enjoy the pontifications of your hosts, Matt Shockey and Jeff Hudson. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of History, Politics, and Beer. My name is Matt Shockey, and sitting across from me, as always, is Jeff Hudson. Uh, and always, Jeff, you bring the beer to History, Politics, and Beer. And we have a third person with us at the table, a special guest, Mustafa Nar. 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 All right. Um, <laughs> if you had a chance to come out to tell us 360 and be part of that really cool outing uh, discussion we had on immigration – uh, Mustafa was there and his story was told. So we're going to get into details of his story as a refugee coming to America uh, from Somalia to Lancaster County and a lot of twists and turns there. But before we get started, as always, we introduce a beer. Um, and now Mustafa is a Muslim. Mm-hmm. And because he's a Muslim, he does not drink alcohol. Uh, and I think Jeff said, and when last time we met him, that Mustafa might have been the funniest person you ever met that didn't drink. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A- absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, I, you know, and, and you don't have to drink if you're in that good of humor all the time. Oh, so instead of alcohol, we have a, a new Coke product. We're not going to introduce it yet. We have a brand new Coke product that Mustafa is going to uh, introduce. But Jeff, tell us about the beer we're drinking tonight. Okay. I got a local craft brew. This is uh, St. Boniface from uh, up in Ephrata. And this is their pale ale. And uh, I like the pale ales generally in the summertime. They tend to be refreshing. Uh, let's open one up and, and see how what it is, tastes. What is St. Boniface? What is what is a Boniface? Do you have any idea? Well, he's a saint. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Other than that, I don't know. All right. So All right. Hold, hold off on your Coke. Hold okay. off on your All Coke. Right. All right. We're going to. All right. So a, a classic pale ale. Here we go. That is a very traditional tasting, solid summer pale ale. Yep. That is, I, I would call that a workhorse pale ale. I th- yeah, it's, it's, there's nothing unusual about no, that. Not. It's not even very hoppy. Really. No, it yeah. isn't. Yeah. Uh, well, St. Boniface wasn't very hoppy as a man. <laughs> he, kept, <laughs> I don't know he, kept, <laughs> he kept low to the ground. Okay. So, <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, a decent beer. Decent beer, absolutely. I would definitely drink this in the summer. A summer thirst quencher. Yeah, it's a classic pale ale. Uh, kind of a nice, it's kind of a Game of Thrones sort of can, too, considering Game of Thrones is starting again this week. Okay. Uh, kind of in that theme. All right, so we have now Mustafa is going to be drinking. I am going to be drinking. Uh, the new Coke Orange Vanilla. I don't know why they use that combination, but Orange Vanilla. Well, Orange Van- Orange Vanilla in America is a dream. is called Dream Sickle. Okay, it's a flavor of Dream Sickle. So you get orange and vanilla together. Okay. It's if you ever have something called a Dream Sickle. No, I've never had a Dream Sickle. Oh, I guess this is it, my. It, it's good. You have Dream Sickles. Well, yeah, and they used to make pop ups the same. Oh way. yes, pop ups with the orange and vanilla. Yeah. So yeah. all right, let's let's so let's, yep, let's try the new Orange and Vanilla. Uh, dream cocoa, Ramsicle Coke, Dream Sickle, Dream Sickle, Dream Sickle. It does just like Coke with something. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, take your time. We want a good review. Yeah, I think that's a unique test. I've never had anything like that. Would you? Uh, I, I drink I w- it. Would you buy it? I would buy it. Um, and. 
I wouldn't tell if there's something in it without it saying that, but you can see us. Uh, you can see that you can test the orange in it. So yeah, I would buy it. It's a uh, it's a nice summer drink. I, okay, I, and yeah. I, I like dream sickles and I like Coke. So yeah. that that's going to be a summer thing for me too. Yeah. yeah, you don't really drink much soda, do you? I don't drink much soda. I'll be drinking the Saint Boniface. Right, Mustafa uh, will be drinking the orange. For the I'll be drinking the Coke. Okay, I'll, I drink both. I'm I, I I like I can go both ways on that. All right, so let's um start off by where you are now. Uh, living in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. uh, you've been in the United States for how many years now? Uh, four and a half, almost five years now. Almost five years, and this summer uh, you will be testing to become an American citizen. Yep. All right, so you're at not almost the end of this journey, so to speak, of yes. becoming a Somali citizen, being a refugee, getting entrance into the United States. Living the life. <laughs> visa, and then think, learning the language, and now yeah. – you'll become an American mm-hmm. citizen. So um, your home country is Somalia. Yeah. Uh, Somalia is on the east coast of Africa, yep. on what's called the Horn of Africa. Yes. Um, a, a I think it has a, the longest coastline of any it does uh, because uh, it's, country it, in Africa, doesn't yep, it? Yep, because we are, the, we're the, we're the, we are the most easternmost part of Africa. So, And the reason why they call it the Horn of Africa because it's shaped like the Horn. But I see a seven. I don't know why they call it the, the Horn of Africa, but it looks like the Horn of Africa. <laughs> one thing, when I was reading about Somalia, they said there's, uh, it's one of the countries in Africa that has the most different ethnic groups and types of people. Is that true? Because I was well, I well, they it, it is it, it does have a lot of ethnic clans and uh, groups in within the Somali uh, community uh, society. But one thing we are different from other countries is that we speak only one language. So you would expect that with such a diversity in people that you'll have all these different languages, but we only speak one national language. Which is? Somali. Somali, <laughs> yeah. okay. And, uh, and we, we've talked to Mustafa before, and one thing that kind of – I was really surprised at the national dish, the national food yeah. of Somalia is – well, well, the national lunch of Somalia is pasta, right? <laughs> um, Which no, no one really would have known that. No. I, I mean, I didn't. Outside, know. outside of Somalia, outside of Somalia, uh, Somalia yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Somali food is um, a combination of Middle Eastern food and Italian food. So we have the okay, rice. That sounds good to me, right? Yeah. There. <laughs> so if you combine Middle Eastern and and Ita- Italy, you get Somalia. So that's why we talk with our hands and <laughs> right. You were part of, of once part of control. Somalia was once a colony yep. of, of Italy. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, I'm assuming that a huge part of the Somali life revolves around the ocean. Yeah. Uh, revolves around fishing. Yes. I'm sure a lot of um, you probably as a kid spent a lot of time at the beach. Yep, I spent a lot of time at the beach. Um, used to be skinny back then, so I used to, <laughs> I used to run around. Welcome to America. Yeah, that's what and, happens uh, when you and, come uh, to America. Uh, the first time I had a frozen fish was uh, when I left Somalia. Fish never used to be frozen. It used to be fresh from the ocean and into your into your plate. So that's those are some of the things I remember about the ocean, that you have fresh fish all the time. Uh, we used to play soccer on the beach, um, a lot of games on the beach. So yeah, it's um it's a beautiful coastline and um you feel you feel like you you feel free and uh yeah, I lived close to the ocean so I used to be one of those boys that used to go down, play soccer, grab some fish on the way home and uh yeah, that used to be some of the nice days. All right, so that's like fond summer memories of yeah. you know, where we would have grown up playing in the woods or you know, he would grow up on the beach. So t- you left Somali when you were 9. Yep. Um let us take us 
from your family, this family unit that is a strong family unit to... Well, let's talk about that unit for a while. What was that like living there? Uh, You know, obviously you're having fun at the beach, but what was family life and what do you remember about that? Um, There's a lot of memories that come to mind. Um, Well, I was born at a time of war, so Somalia before me used to be the peaceful Somalia. But um, I remember growing up and um, I had um, had my mom and my dad. I had a lot of siblings. I have um, three brothers and um, four sisters, and uh, and family to to us is was uh, very important in Somali culture. In Somali culture, everybody is your family. The entire village is your family. Uh, you have cousins and you have. But uncles. you don't you don't have a name for an uncle. You no. don't have names for uncles and cousins. No, they're just brothers and sisters. Yeah, they're, they're brothers like, and sisters and. and uh, and they and the, and each Somali person knows how they connect to the other Somali person because we all somehow go back to the Somali tree. Okay. So we so technically you are related to everybody. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I remember. It makes how, very getting very difficult. Right? Yeah, it's there, like, <laughs> are there clan rules outside your family? Like, yeah, there are. There are clan rules. So okay. so people usually stay within their clan rules. Okay. Um, my father and my mother broke the rule <laughs> when they got married. They both came from opposite sides of uh, major two major clans in Somalia, and really at the time they were getting married was at the time when the two clans were going to war with each other. It's like Romeo and Juliet. It was there the modern days of Romeo and Juliet. Okay. Um, so so what that makes a child like me is that you, you stay in a neutral place because you your parents come from both sides, so you try to be uh, in in that middle space. So that so I remember always um, uh, having 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 to hear gunshots. Um, uh, to us growing up in Somalia, you will not be surprised that you see you make a friend today and then tomorrow they are no longer there because a bombing happened or something happened and they have passed. So we've developed a culture where you say goodbye every morning before you leave home. Or or when you're going out for lunch, you say your goodbyes. Just 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 in case somebody doesn't come back or or you don't come back. So yeah, uh, but that was our normal, uh, you know, I, I didn't know anything any different. So that was what I, what, what I thought everybody in the world was experiencing, that that all the gunshots and the blood bloodshots and uh, people basically dying was normal in all parts of the world. Uh, but but then there was also a lot of happy memories. I, I remember uh, going to school, um, I have my my father had a few businesses, so I remember being part of his different businesses. Um, we had an ice cream shop, so we used to we used to make ice cream in the summer. Well, it's always summer in Somalia, but <laughs> yeah, I just checked; it's yeah. eighty two degrees today. Yeah, in Somalia and it's sunny. Incredible. Yeah, if in Somalia, if it goes below the sixties, they call it national. <laughs> I, I'm thinking ice cream shop in Somalia is a winter. Yes. Yeah, you got the beach. You got the sun and you got the ice cream. Yeah, so that I was did, was that your dad's. Yeah, that, yep, yep. Did, did uh, what kind of flavors did you have? Oh, we there? had a lot of flavors. Okay. Uh, our most popular flavor was was I um camel camel milk cream. So it's camel milk based with cream. Okay. Um, because you know the camel is a very important uh 
animal to Somalia. We I think I went past a place in Strasbourg that was serving the camel milk cream. See, no, <laughs> real out, oh, boy. <laughs> oh, you don't want to tell that to the no, Somalis. No, luckily, no, no. <laughs> we'll be, no. you'll be seeing. Don't a tell lot of, the Somalis that. Yeah, yeah oh yeah, in Strasbourg. Look at yeah. <laughs> and now we're gonna have a different national headline. <laughs> Somalis raided a, 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 a small farm in Lancaster. <laughs> but yeah, we had different flavors. Um, I remember my my father used to make me and my siblings come up with flavors. And I used to come up with crazy flavors uh, because I, I always try to think outside the box. <laughs> it's not good all the time. Right. I, I used to use a lot of jalapenos, a lot of, a lot of things that people wouldn't think in ice cream. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of them made it to the menu, some of them... <laughs> <laughs> Try them out first. Yeah, right? some of yeah. them, my father questioned. No fresh fish in that yeah. ice cream. Oh, right? no. no. I did one time try to make fish ice cream. Okay. Well, <laughs> which was you, which was like uh, my father asked, my father was questioning how I even, how, he, how I'm even his season. <laughs> it's like, and, and you talked about your, your father before, too. I mean, it seems like he was a guy who's coming up with a business idea here and a business idea yeah. there. and. So he's kind of an entrepreneur, right? Yeah, he was. Uh, he was an entrepreneur. He started a few businesses. One of them being the ice cream shop. Um, we had a we had a we had a shoe shoe store where the way we used to sell shoes, uh, Italian shoes and and belts and bags. Uh, we had a we had a uh, grocery store. So yeah, he used to always. He, he would stay a few years and then and then start a new business. So yeah, I remember that about him, and he he used to be very vocal too. He will be the type of guy that everybody knows what what he's thinking or what is on his mind because he will be very he will he will say to everybody that this is wrong, this is good, this is bad. So he, in a sense, he was a he was a man of the community. Now, how does your family interact with the war? Right, so the war, you know, those two things are kind of separate to you as a kid, right? Yeah. The war's going on. Your your family is happening, but there's going to be conflict, right? I yeah. mean, your dad is not because he's an outspoken man. Yeah, he is not making friends, so to speak. Yeah, with people who are very dangerous. Yeah. So what what's happening in Somalia is that when the war is happening, and the one thing leads to another thing, and you have you have people who are trying to make sure the war doesn't go away for their personal reasons. Uh, a lot of the people will will be quiet, and they will be the people who will lose a family member, and they will not say anything. So for us, it was a very scary time for to have a father who was very opinionated because you could, everybody knew him and knew his opinions about everything. So it in it it put him it put a huge target on his back, and um, you people we used to say that you're gonna lose your life and you're gonna leave your family if you don't stop speaking against war and against violence and against uh, youth being depo- uh, being recruited for for war. So yeah, uh, I remember my mom always used to be nervous all the time. Uh, like it's always, it's, she will always be nervous when he left the house, not sure if he's going to be back. And, um, and uh, I remember also us feeling that, okay, he's, he, he is very, he's, he's going to be in danger all the time. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I, I kind of felt a little bit proud of him for doing the right, right. thing. But he, but it's always a scary thing. Um, he started, he started receiving uh, phone calls and letters. So nothing, nothing, nothing was always um, as simple as uh, I'm, I'm going to have an opinion and nobody's going to come after me. 
So the phone calls don't work. The letters he's receiving don't work. He's still speaking out. Yeah. He's still talking against the powers to be about violence and about how this is not the right thing to do. Yep. That's fine. Um, And eventually the thugs will send a message to the whole community by coming after your dad. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what what – what usually happens is people will uh, send you letters and threaten your family and threaten your life, and you will stop. So, um, unfortunately, my father did not stop, and um, he kept the letters kept coming and the phone calls kept um, ringing, and uh, and then it led to uh, the him eventually losing his life, and uh, in the most uh, cruel way anybody can take uh, somebody's life. Um, so what happens when, with this group is they when they're trying to uh, kill somebody they don't just they don't just shoot the person and leave them alone they try to send a message to the community and anybody else who's outspoken so they did it in front of my whole family um, they made everybody watch so you can at least um, so they can at least send a message so yeah unfortunately as a young child um, that that really don't know what's going on in the world. It was um, it was a very crucial thing to sit and watch uh, your father's life being um, taken. Now, do they just do they run in the house and drag everyone out? No, they and- come. So we um, we lived in a house and we had a a, a, a big courtyard. So you you'll come into the gate and you'll have to walk inside our house. So they they went inside and they dragged us all in that. Code yet. Okay. Um, when I say they, I'm talking about a group of 15 people. Okay. So there's no fighting back. There's, there's no, no. There's no fighting back. You either you are you are these people with weapons and everything. And uh, my mom, the first thing she she's doing is just holding on to her children. Right. And um, and um, yeah. So what's your? Does your dad say anything? Like yeah, the, he does. Well, he struggles. He struggles for some time and. Um, he 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 tries to uh, he he just begs them to uh do it when his children are not watching that's his only request he doesn't um it's a brave man yeah he doesn't say um don't kill me or anything because it's it's very but he just asks them not to do it in front of us and um they they don't um they don't they don't uh, they don't accept his request and um Everything happens in few seconds. And yeah, this is quick. This is not like a pro. This is they take you out. It's very fast. It's uh, it's fast. It's very planned. It's very uh, abrupt. And uh, for me, when I was going through different uh, therapies and whatnot, I I found out that I had blocked out that part of the incident. But um, it's things that always live with me up up until my adult life. Um, you will get flashbacks. You will get some dreams and um it's it's something that you cannot unsee or or not remember we'll move past this mm-hmm. then you told us before that he was beheaded and yeah and that sense and that is common for terrorists yeah uh, in america the clan would kill people publicly and to send a message to the whole community um unfortunately that is seems to be a, a universal of terrorist groups um when they try to intimidate they want to try to intimidate everybody so you live in a patriarchal society where the father is sort of the top of the pyramid and all of a sudden now your mom 
is there with children yeah and has to make a decision i mean you, you your guys's lives are literally at stake yeah and your mom's husband is gone in the blink of an eye she just lost a man she loves mm-hmm. what what does she do next um i think the f- immediate thing she does is to try to get us out of there okay um we don't have time to sit down and reflect on what happened or or mourn or even attend my father's funeral we have to leave right away So we lost our father around noon, and uh, by four o'clock we had to leave. So she, she, and she was she. She is the strongest woman because she had really experienced the worst thing that could happen to a person. But the first thing that that she think she thought about was to uh, uh, run away with the with the rest of my siblings and uh, at least find uh, safety. So yeah, um, I remember. I remember a lot of noise and chaos happening. All the neighbors coming out, people taking, uh, taking some covers and ha- uh, covering my father's body. My a lot of people rushing in the house, and we were all scrambling. Um, and then my mom told us just to grab whatever we can, and we're we're leaving. And um, you don't expect to leave your home like that. So there's not planning or parking or taking things you love involved. So yeah, I I remember just running in my room. And, and this is one of the memories that I will always remember very, very clearly. I remember running in my room and uh, looking around and I did I couldn't decide or think of what to take. Well, you're so, nine. Yeah. Right? Like go go to your room and grab something important. Yeah. Like what's important. So I just grabbed the bed sheet on my bed okay. and uh, I still have that with me uh, okay. until today. So... And uh, yeah, that w- and then automatically your your mind goes through something amazing that you all of a sudden you, your whole your idea what, what what you're trying to do is just survive and at least go to a place where you feel like uh, you can find some safety and just breathe. So yeah, I I immediately become the oldest uh, the the decision maker in all of this because I'm the oldest of the of mm-hmm. the children. I don't have a, I don't have a, I don't have a choice of of being a child and crying and and mourning. You don't you, you don't have the choice. You you have to think like an adult and uh, make decisions that and somebody who die young should not make. So you leave as you wake up that morning. Life's normal. By four o'clock that afternoon, your father's been murdered. You're on the road for your lives. Yeah, and. You do you know now? Eventually, you're going to end up in in a refugee camp in Kenya. Yeah, and I think you told us it takes about twelve days for you to make that journey. Yeah, do you know where you're going right away? Uh no. Uh, like, how long does it take you to figure out? Like, oh, we're going to that refugee camp hundreds of miles away. I think the first thing we we're thinking is we got to leave town. Yeah, get out of Mogadishu. Yeah, get out of Mogadishu, and uh, that's the first thing that we we all know that we're not going to be in this town. And then you go to an, another town, and then people, a lot of people have gone through similar things that we have been through. Okay. So people tell you, since this is your case, and this is so fresh right now, it happened recently, your best safety is, is to go to a refugee camp in Kenya. <laughs> and then they give you the, 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 the information of, of how to get there. And you, you go through all these cities that I've always, even been in Somalia, have never gone through. Uh, and you travel through these places. You make a stop here. You leave. You you, you get out of a bus. You you stay in this. Um, we stay. We I remember we slept one time at a mosque. Um, it was very surreal for me coming from a big bedroom, and now all of a sudden I'm sleeping 
in a, in a, in an empty mask and then what and then there's and then and then soon you you, you see other people who are also running for their life in, who have gone through similar or different circumstances and you join groups and um you um you, you know that this this is you're going to be going to uh, this place which is a refugee camp uh, but you don't know how long it takes we, we you just keep going because the journey is not the same for any two individuals some people take for longer some make it to the top of 13 days mark some don't make it at all do they do they come after you yeah there's um what happens is that there's a lot of um um communication between the groups in different, okay, in different parts, cities different cities so you never know where you are so you like you become super paranoid you don't know the person you're talking to is so we you change your name and you, you use the same different names just to even address your siblings just so just so you don't uh uh get killed so <laughs> so i remember again adjusted to calling my brother a different name when i when we were going through different cities because because our names are also uh, popular, um, some people uh, ch- uh, change uh, clothes and they dress some boys like girls just so they can be masked. Okay. Uh, from so yeah, different people do different things to uh, just go through the cities so not to be identified. So yeah, those. You, and your journey is twelve days. Yeah. To get to, and what is it like? Uh, so you're twelve days. You're you're in Kenya. Crossing the border into Kenya is that an easy thing? They let you in? No, uh, that is the hardest part of the pro- of the journey. Is when you come to the final day of crossing the border from uh, Somalia into Kenya. There's a, there's a there's a there's a big chunk of land in between, which is like a no man's land, and um, it's very you don't have you don't have access to water, anything, food, everything. It's just so those that's the hardest part. And you come to the and people, a lot of people lose their lives on that time. A lot of people make crazy decisions. Uh, one thing that I always remember about that day is that a woman who was um, walking with her children, she had three children from the beginning. And when we cut to that point, I I I had realized that she she only had two. So I asked her what happened to her other child, and um. She told me that she had to leave him behind because she couldn't carry all three of them, and and they couldn't, they wouldn't not make all of them. So she had to make a decision to leave a child behind, so they can at least, so she can at least give the other two um, a chance of uh, living. Yeah. So when you eventually um, go through, uh, come to the border, it's it's very scary. You don't know what's going on. You have to hide. You have to. But when you came to the to the official border. That's where the entrance for the refugee camp is. So, oh, so you go right into the refugee camp. Yeah. So th- that's the first entrance you come into. Oh, okay. So you're you're not really you cross into Kenya and then you're in, right in the camp. Yeah. So, but to get to that is the is the harder process. Okay. Yes. And so the some the Kenyan government right now is also trying to make that part of the process harder so they have like they've recently started putting security at that side before you came to the border because because when you come to the uh refugee camp you become a refugee because you you don't belong to this country and you're fleeing something from the other country so yeah so when 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 you come into the camp like how do you get settled and and what what becomes of you and your family when you're in the camp 
um, so when you become when you get inside, they register you, take your information and everything, and they give you this. Uh, uh, who does, is that? Is this that, Kenyan authorities? No, this is not the Kenyan. This is the United Nations. Okay. Uh, so they are running the the, the camp. Uh, it's uh, the the Kenyan authority only does the security part of it, but the op- operations and everything else is being run by the United Nations. Um, so yeah, you, you get a you get. They sign you up. They they give if you if anybody is sick or anything, they give you some medical attention. A lot of time, that's the point where everybody's like um, starving, or or a lot of children are dehydrated mm-hmm. or malnutrition. So they usually take care of that first, um, and they give you this uh, tool, this um, this box of stuff to set up your tent, or or if there's already an existing tent, then you can go and. Um, they assign you a tent, so yeah, you 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 immediately feel um, at least some sense of uh, feeling safe, and you can at least. So there's a thousand people there, five thousand. <laughs> no, these are. Uh, well, the camp was like originally built for like uh, 90, 90 to ninety-four thousand people, but there's like six hundred thousand people there. Uh, some. At one point, it was getting close to a million people. So, so more people than live in Lancaster County. Yeah, yeah that's by a, good a few one. hundred thousand. Yeah, right. and uh, it's uh, it's people everywhere. Everywhere you look, everywhere you, there's people everywhere. Uh, it's a such and it's a small space. It's not like a huge land. People are next to each other, um, and uh, everybody there is 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 basically running away from something, and uh, uh, and they have been brought to that camp for a similar situation like my family or or something close to it. That's okay. Answer your phone. Oh, no, I'm good. That's important. Very <laughs> good. <laughs> I know. Phones go off all the time. Yeah. Um, so I'm, you're talking 600, 700,000 people. So I'm assuming within – they create the, – the communities have created schools. They've created daycares. They've created health care. I mean I'm assuming that as you come together as a group and sort of create a normal, quote, normal yeah. life – to some degree, because you're going to be there a while. Yeah. Um, the average person there stays around 16 to 17 years. I have a friend. 16 to 17 yeah, years. The, yeah. And now, is this living in a tent? It's living in a tent, and then you gradually progress into be, uh, getting a small uh, a wooden apartment, like a okay. shed. Like a shed. Yep. And so when you got there with your family, everybody was living in one tent? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all, all nine of us were in one big tent. Like, where do you go to the bathroom? Uh, the, the bathroom is, is a walk, so you, you cannot step out of the camp. And the, so you, the bathroom is a walk. You have to walk like five, six minutes to get to the bathroom. And uh, we, share, we share the bathroom with <laughs> So they, they, they give they give Is it, it a every, pit toilet? It's a pit toilet, yeah. For a couple hundred thousand people? No, no, no. It's not, there's not only one. They, there's a couple of toilets, yeah. but the, I would say like 20, 25 Families share the one bathroom. Okay. Yep. So, so yeah, you go there and it's so. <laughs> this is the first time I'm remembering the bathroom. There's a, it's a pit basically, and there's some some two racks to put your feet there. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's just so my daughter and son arguing over the bathroom right. becomes pretty. So you're you're hovering and aiming. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. So yeah you, just, you just yeah aim and uh, hope. Wish, hope. <laughs> you don't hear the good thing you don't hear the noises because yeah. it's too long. <laughs> and if you miss, it's the next guy's problem. Yeah, not yours. Yeah, <laughs> that's, blame that's one gross. of the twenty-five thousand people. <laughs> it, 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 a universal human condition is is humor. 
Yeah. Expe- and it seems that when things are bad, we laugh. Yeah. Like you, you get you, you make jokes out of. Yeah. Was there a lot of humor in the camp? Yeah. Like you know, like crapping in a pit toilet. At some point, it has to be funny. Yeah. Or it'll, it'll or you go crazy. Or sharing the tent with the brother right. you, 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 don't, to, you don't like so much. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. You, you. Yeah. You have to. You just have to adapt to your situation because you don't have a choice. Right. So choices give people uh, uh, the the opportunity to be angry or, or or disappointed. But when you don't have a choice, you have to be okay with with the thing you, you have. So yeah, it's um um. One one of the hardest things is that you you do you don't do anything. You just basically live life. You wake up, and there's nothing to do. This school is limited. Um, you cannot go find a job inside the camp. You cannot go back to your country, and you cannot go into the Kenyan community because you're supposed to only stay in the refugee camp. Now you uh, told us before that you took this opportunity to start learning English. Yeah. And was that a unique opportunity just for you that you just happened to find, or was this a large group of people that were trying to learn English? Um, so there was an organization that was coming there to at least uh, offer free English classes. Uh, not many people took up on the opportunity because of different reasons. Most of most of it being that people don't really have um, don't don't really have the mental capacity because. But one one thing people don't understand is like mental health is such a huge thing in the refugee camps because people have gone through trauma and they have never been addressed. Um, but you yeah, you said the suicide rate was suicide high. suicide rate is high. A lot of people taking their lives because when you stay in a space for more than ten, right. fifteen years, and you have not dealt with those issues, they become very. Um, yeah, so I I remember I remember taking English classes uh, being offered by. A group of volunteers, and um, yeah, I, I I used to go every day after 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 four o'clock, and um, just just attend classes. I went through different stages with my accents, um, depending on the volunteer who was <laughs> who was teaching that year. I had a British teacher, so I had a British accent for a while, <laughs> and I had an Australian teacher, and uh, an American teacher. So uh, I this is a combination of. <laughs> Wall English okay. in a, through a Somali. <laughs> You're in a situation like that. I mean, people need some hope. I yeah. Mean, I'd say, what was your family's hope? What kept you guys going? I think the the what what kept us going was when we were in the camp and we we had initially started the refugee resettlement process. There is a promise of safety at the end of all this. You don't know what that means, uh, but that knowing that. Everything's gonna be safe at one point. Uh, that just made everything very, uh, at least bearable for some time. And and we uh, and at the back of my head, I always thought that my country is gonna be safe and um, we're gonna go back. So you're always thinking, you're always hopeful. Everything's are gonna get better, and uh, we're either gonna go back or we're gonna have uh, some safety uh, to come. So you get there when you're nine, mm-hmm. then you're ten, mm-hmm. then you're eleven, yeah, then you're twelve. How long are you in the camp? Oh my goodness! So eight and a half years. Um, uh, the we were we would be considered one of the lucky people. The okay. People, the people who are there, fifteen years, fourteen years. So uh, at that time, you going you going through uh, the refugee resettlement process which is uh, basically what somebody has to go through before they are considered to be taken out of the camp into any other country. Um, 
we're going through the resettlement process we are doing medical checks background checks uh all sorts of everything and uh we eventually we eventually make it to um to yeah you you basically grow up in that 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 becomes your teenage years and uh that becomes your um your 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 life what you think is normal and uh yeah you that be, takes a, a huge chunk of your life yeah so eight years that's you know you're you're from you're you're you go from nine to seventeen years old um at this point i think we're gonna go to well, we're gonna call it today for the pod i think it's a really good place for us to drop to stop and pick this story up next week um with him getting ready to come to the United States, he's got from you, Mustafa. You've been from went from Somalia, lost your family, the journey, um, the years in the camp, and then as you said, I only got to spend eight years in the camp. I was lucky, yeah. uh, and then eventually it's going to bring you here. So thanks for joining us today. We're going to yes. come back next week and we'll pick up part two of your story. Yep, with more orange vanilla coke. We'll, we'll do some we'll, <laughs> more orange vanilla coke and orange. So, hey, thanks, everyone, for joining us this week. Uh, This is History, Politics, and Beer. If you want to get a hold of us, uh, the email is historypoliticsandbeer at gmail. You can check us out on Twitter. You can check us out on Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for coming, Mustafa. We'll talk to you again and pick up the rest of the story. Until next time, see you.